Hello and welcome to We've Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. So, we see we saw uh, Borg McEnroe. Yeah, Borg, Borg versus McEnroe. What's the story? The story of Borg McEnroe is uh, it's set uh, around the rivalry of Bjorn Borg and John McEnroe, two tennis players, mm. who were, are real. They were real people um, and still are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's set in uh, during the 1980 Wimbledon uh, Championships. So Wimbledon's like Wimbledon's the the the, the tournament that everyone cares about. Mm. Uh, it's a big deal. Um, this was going to be uh, Borg's potential fifth win in a row, which would have broken the record. Um, it would have been McEnroe's first. He was younger and kind of mm. volatile, this upstart. And the story's sort of about their rivalry, um, how it's portrayed in the media, with Borg being supposedly a, a gentleman of tennis who keeps his emotions to himself and remains very calm and collected. Um, and McEnroe having a temper, famously, and screaming... Uh, you cannot be serious and the rest of it. Okay. Um, and it, but it's it's very much also about their internal monologues and the way they they the way they may be more similar than uh, you previously thought. Yes. Okay. The, the 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 film begins with this quote from Andre Agassi saying, "You know, much of the language of tennis is also the language of life. It's kind of the important things of life." Uh, and I forget, you know, he he has a whole litany of them. He lists a whole litany of them. The ones that, that I remember are really like break and love, right? But, you know, he talks about how the language of tennis is the language of life, mm. right? Of all the important things in life. So in a way, that frames the film as, you know, a journey that our protagonist and his nemesis kind of both learn. Yeah, that 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 is kind of an important lesson in life. So what do you think that is? Hey. <laughs> well, do I think it's? Do I think it actually tennis serves as a metaphor? Serves. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, both of our protagonists go on a journey. They change and they learn, and they learn something about themselves, and they learn something about each other. And one of the things that they learn about each other is that they're a lot alike, right? The the film ends with uh, 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 a card telling us that later in life they become best friends, and that Bjorn Borg was the best man at John McEnroe's wedding, right? So, so you, you know, this experience mm. bonds them. And part of what you assume bonds them is because they learn something about each other in the process of the match. I disagree. I think that, I think the film fails to dramatise that whatsoever. I think the rivalry, the rivalry between the two players is barely shown. Um, if there, if there you know, really was one, obviously there's supposed to be one for the sake of the film. Um, I think... I mean, when do you see these guys interact? You see um, McEnroe storm into the changing room at one point and Bjorg sat there and nothing happens. Um, you see you see them not interacting at uh, a press conference. Obviously, then they play each other. So, uh, but I, I, When I, you say that you don't no, see them interacting, I think there's a lot of drama going on around it. So... You know, it kind of it depends on how film, you're defining interaction. I mean, the fact that the film had to tell me in title cards, then they became best friends, then this happened, then that happened. That's not dramatizing it. That is telling me. No, that's telling you the aftermath of it, 
But actually, I think it does dramatize those things. You see McEnroe being angry, like almost with the impression, who does he think he is? Because he's the last one in. So obviously he's special, right? And John and McEnroe won't accept that because he thinks he's special. So actually, there's a lot of drama in that scene. Yeah, even though they don't say anything to each other, it is dramatized. Mm. And also, and there is there is um, they keep watching each other on TV. Obviously, like they are interested in each other They're in their in their personal lives, but they but they don't cross. And this is a film which was... It's like, you remember how Batman vs. Superman was called Batman vs. Superman and they fought once? <laughs> and it was like, why, why are you doing this? This is the same. No, it's not the same. It and is. My God, my, the, the whole third of the film is about their last match, which is literally one against the other, really. And and barely interesting. It actually... Well, I suppose it's not interesting if you're not interested in tennis. I but... like tennis. Don't ever... No, no, this is not about whether I like tennis or not. I want it to be interested in this, and I like tennis, and I want I want to see the other tennis film that's coming out. But the, this film did nothing for me up until... Up until during that that final between them, um, McEnroe's getting angry, and as they cross to, to change ends, uh, change, change sides of the court, um, Borg says something to McEnroe, he says, keep your head, play your game, something like that. And it's like, oh, he's nice to him. Mm. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, all of a sudden there was something to be interested in in this match. Well, I, I, I had a completely different experience than yours. I thought it was wonderful. Uh, and I think there's a lot going on. And actually, I think it, it is about, you know, different, different ways of behaving, different socially acceptable ways of behaving in society. And actually, it's like, you know, the the control that Bjorg gets at the end, and he's seen as a robot and so on. And you see how hard earned that is, and what it costs him, you know, to come across as, you know, this, this natural aristocrat of the tennis court. Yeah, which he, in a way, is. He's got the talent for it. But, you know, his personality is much more volatile. And actually, I found it particularly fascinating, you know, as a kind of uh, a key to understanding the person in the light of everything else that we found out about about Borg subsequently, right? Like, you know, he got arrested fucking in the toilet of a restaurant. And, yeah, kind of all of these kind of, you, you know, know ec- uh, extreme behaviors that you see the film, that you see that throughout the film, he's learning to kind of rein himself in, to control. And actually, part of the thing is, in the film, from the Stellan Skarsgård character, the trainer, is that unless he learns to do that, he won't be able to play, right? Mm. So, so, And I think that's so beautifully contrasted to McEnroe, for whom those, those outbursts in the court is an outlet, right? It's what permits him to stay focused as uh, uh, Bjornborg recognizes. He yeah, recognizes when, when at he, one point, but actually, when, there's so little of that. And and it, what's really disappointing is that McEnroe stops doing it. McEnroe well, no, but in. I don't think that's a disappointment. I think that's a natural outcome because that's the part where he grows. That actually, kind of, you know, uh, in that last game, he does, you know, what Bjorg uh, uh, Bjornborg has learned to do. Yeah, which. Uh, 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 you know, he doesn't kind of yell obscenities at the audience. He just doesn't yell obscenities uh, uh, at the uh, referee. Uh, you know, but he's still acting out. You know, he's still, he cries, he's angry. Yeah, but he doesn't take it out on other people. He doesn't abuse other people in the process of doing so. But and I think that's end, his... 
Well, this is what I'm feeling with the entire film is is what is the. But it's explained in the film because actually there's that whole conversation with what's his name Fleming, yeah, who says you know uh, uh, nobody likes you, right? Mm. So and nobody wants to be like you, yeah. And so part of you know that change in the court at that time is actually you know getting a standing ovation from everybody. You know, because of how he played and how he behaved. So actually, that that changes how he's perceived. But I don't know that this matters to him. Actually, I really don't. I think it's 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 um obviously that the the, uh, the player says to him, "No one likes you. No one's going to remember you as a great, even though you are, because you act out. Mm. You have a temper." Um, and then when he behaves himself during the final and keeps it inside and plays a good game of tennis, ultimately losing. Um, one of the commentators says uh, his behaviour was a credit to him, something like that. But did you really get the impression that this is something that, that that's, that's what counted to him? I thought it was just... The, the film felt like a series of really rudderless moments that didn't add up to real sort of coherent characterization. No, I didn't feel that. I mean, I didn't feel that at all. Uh, I mean, I thought, I thought the actors were terrific, uh, both of them. Uh, you know, and particularly Shia LaBeouf, I thought he's just so impressive because he's someone whom I don't like. You know, I don't think he's attractive, you know, and, and, and I don't like his persona. And, I mean, recently I've seen him in two films. The The first one was American... Honey. American Honey, where I thought he was phenomenal. That was torture. Yeah, I thought that was a great film. And, and, and here, he's just fantastic, really. You know, so uh, I thought both actors were... So actually, I think, you know, there is quite a very considerable range of character and it's very nuanced, the film. Like you get a sense, for example, with McEnroe's father, how controlling he is, how he begrudges, how he kind of like reins in compliments. Right. Uh, And then there's all those glances. It's all really told through glances in the last game. Right. So uh, um, I thought, yeah, I kind of um, I wouldn't say I love it. You know, it's, it's it wouldn't be true to say that I think it's an, a, a fantastic film, but I enjoyed it very much, and I think it's very well done, and I love the whole look of it. Oh, I didn't like the look of it. Uh-huh. I mean, I got the look of it. It it kind of it really evokes this uh, sort of sort of beige <laughs> um, late seventies look, and this kind of um... <sighs> no, that's about it. <laughs> I, I, it's, There's it's, this wonderful image. It's so unremarkable. I didn't think it was unremarkable. I think it actually is is a very skilled film. Uh, no. there's, there's this wonderful image at the beginning, where which is repeated throughout the film, which uh, Bjornborg is in his apartment in Monaco, you know, which is now his home. Which I think it's interesting, uh, and he lifts himself up on the balcony. Right. And 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 there's the Mediterranean, you know, uh, uh, takes up like two thirds of the frame and he just lifts himself up and you could see how he's tightly wound up and on the precipice, you know, that he could fall from this balcony. Right. That kind of. Yeah. You you get a point of view of, of the swimming pool below the swimming pool below won't hold him. Right. Like, you know, so, yeah, this kind of sense of being, you know, wired up and. You know, this enormous strength and this enormous self-control and the sense of always being on the precipice, I thought was kind of like a metaphor for the film, really. Mm. 
and it it does it visually. So, uh, oh well, yeah, you picked out one shot. <laughs> now do the rest. Well, how many do you need? <laughs> I need more than that. I, there isn't a moment in this film that I'm going to remember. You know, there's not a there's not a part of the film I'm going to want to revisit. Um, that's an interesting thing. That's probably true. I actually. find it. I found it very. Just uncompelling. If that's but is word. that? I mean, I don't know. Should that is that a consideration anyway? I mean, you know, does does does? Well, I suppose wanting to watch a film again is always a good sign. Um, no, I know what you mean. Like, it's not like it should have. It's not like I should expect uh, a stand-up moment here or there or whatever. But I, I found myself thinking, this is just so unremarkable. This is. Not quite by the numbers. It is attempting to do something. I think the the idea that these guys are essentially identical on the inside but present themselves very differently um, is an interesting idea. But I think it's laboured. Um, I don't think it's it's man. I don't think it's enormously original. But that's not a huge sort of um, negative point if it can be executed interestingly, which I don't think it is. Um, and I, I don't feel that the, the stakes, while the stakes are um, reasonably clear, they don't feel that important, despite the fact that you know, this is going to be um, uh, Borg's fifth um, Wimbledon title in a row, which breaks the record, and it's a huge deal, and there's an awful lot of pressure on him for that reason. I feel like, well, he's won four. I mean, he's good. <laughs> and McEnroe, he's No, because the film tells you, if I lose this match... My winning four will count for nothing. All that people will remember me for is having lost this one. Possibly, but I think he's. I think he's uh, uh, being a drama queen. No, no, and I disagree with you. And actually, I, I do think the film is doing something really, really fascinating with the class element. I really do, you know, because you know. So on the one hand, what you have is like this tall Nordic blonde. You know, he looks like a Norse god, and you have this curly-haired, wired New Yorker, right? And actually, you know, the curly-haired, wired New Yorker who is loud and acts out and so on, he's meant to be like every man or something. You know, whereas, you know, this the tall Nordic uh, person, you know, he's just meant to be like an aristocrat of tennis. And actually, the film really shows you that it's the opposite, that, you know, uh, Bjorn is living in a council estate. He's practicing tennis, you know, in front of the garage door of, of the estate he lives in. He's from a working-class family. Whereas, you know, McEnroe is getting all these special teachers and playing chess and he's a math genius and, you know, mm. it's from this, you know, upper middle class family in New York, right? So so I think what it does is very interesting. It it it, it but, mismatches. Okay, but, but then what is the point of that? What's the upshot of that? Well, the upshot of that is that they're still very similar, mm. right? And they both learn about each other. But actually, I think it's kind of revealing, you know, that, uh, you know, the, the, the neither of the two legendary players of this period in what the film makes a great point out of telling you is a gentleman's game are gentlemen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and yet they somehow both learn to, in a way, become a different type of gentleman, which is so, you know, it's like, you know, noble of heart or noble of spirit or, yeah, noble of will, you know, rather than the class thing that is kind of, you know, so much at play in, in the under uh, path of the film. The gentleman thing I thought was discarded. I, I sort of um, saw it, but it felt actually the film discarded it. Um, 
particularly when it says at one point uh, tennis players are rock stars now, which is like, it, and it's the film, uh, it's making the point that this this was, um, you know, a gentleman's game, but it seems to be changing. It's actually, they, they both behave more like rock stars. The one of them acts out, the other one's going off to nightclubs. In fact, they both go off to nightclubs. I think that that aspect of the nobility and the effort and the skill is 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 played out in the court. Mm. Um, and yes, it does show. It certainly isn't know. that final game, to be fair, when they they both play a really creditable game against each other and they both come back from negative positions yes. and so on. So I, I you know, and, and actually, I think the thing about you know going to Studio Fifty Four and nightclubs and stuff, I thought it was kind of interesting, but not really because. The film just doesn't have the budget to do it well, really. So, you know, you have like a little curtain and some disco lights and it's meant to be Studio 54. Uh, or actually some of the aerial shots of Wimbledon, you see they're practically a video game, right? So, uh, um, like the, C- yeah, the CGI is so poor um, that, uh, you know, the budget doesn't stand for it. But... I actually didn't think that. I thought that... Was this... I mean... Oh, maybe you mean like uh, establishing shots? Yeah, not of the actual games. No, not of the actual games. Oh, right, but right. the establishing shot of the of the stadium, which is very beautiful and eerie, and and actually it's all it's all populated, but it's populated by figures that look like a, they're in a video game, mm. really. Um, anyway, I, you know, I wouldn't hold that against the film. I'm just saying, mm. really, um, that for me, you know, all of those things are kind of important in in delineating period, but. Yeah, through no fault of their own, <laughs> the, mm. they're not for me the 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 better parts of the film. They're not, you know, they're not very well done, really, um, or not very convincing. Um, but you see how they do become like rock stars, and in a way, how uh, um, Bjornborg, who's very intent on winning, is what he least likes about it. You know, it's like mm. that bit where he goes in for a coffee, you know, and he doesn't have money. And you know he's he works uh, uh, he works to pay for his coffee. You know you have a moment of peace and rest and kind of a kind of a fulfillment, really. Mm. Um, I kept thinking about Rush. Have you seen it? I have seen Rush. Ron I Howard. loved Rush, and it's the Nicky Lauda um, James Hunt rivalry. And I kept thinking about how that was a film that actually showed real rivals. Um, which is not to say they didn't also have a friendship and so on and so forth, but um, the film portrays them as, as he's having a really deep, um, quite um, uh, intense rivalry. But it, 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 it dramatises it. They are, they're constantly in conflict, and um, everything has a function in that film. But I think, in a way that- that I think this film is much more... Amos. Well, we can agree on that, but I think it's in a way, it's not quite a fair comparison because I do think that Rush is a truly great film. Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't do very well at the box office. Um, I think it's partly because, you know, that story isn't familiar to Americans, really. But I think actually that Rush is a truly great film. Mm. I mean, I think it's an extraordinary well, film. Maybe it's unfair to compare um, to that, but, but there, there are obviously comparisons. Well, yes. Yeah, I mean, they're two comparison. athletes and, you know, they're two rivals. Um, but you know, it, it is a different story. But I think, but Neither also, of them dies think, here. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, a, there's a different a, sense of danger and risk. Well, yeah, there's that as well. I mean, the uh, stakes are far more uh, exciting. <laughs> yes, and um, I think just the rush 
the budget and things like that is just uncomparable. I mean, you know, that's a but big that's not, Hollywood that's, that's, production. That's not what my issue is. My issue really comes down to the writing and the and the characterization and the fact that in this I am struggling to appreciate what there is to be interested in with these characters. I I didn't feel it. Um I, I didn't feel interested enough in either one of them. Like it kept me going, but I it was far from compelling. I don't think I don't think you're right that, that when you say they learn from each other. I don't think that's true. Well, I think if you'd see the film again, you think that is you know that is the whole. No, point. they hug at the end. Well, well, you know they played a good game against each other, but have they learned from each other? I think it's, I, they, I, their rivalry hasn't been intense enough throughout the film to for their for their kind of reconciliation at the end to have any. I don't impact. know how you can say that because you have McEnroe kind of throughout drawing on his hotel room, you know, and plotting how he's going to end up with Borg, right? So, you know, they both want to be number one right from the beginning. Actually, you know, it's made such a point that the trainer says that as soon as he stops being number one, he'll stop playing, which is what happens, right? So, But that's got nothing to do with McEnroe. That's about himself. They're both, they're both really thinking about themselves. They're focused on the other because the other is the person who, you know... the, the um, well, their main enemy. Each wants but, to be number one, but they're and not, the they're other not, is their obstacle. About, but McEnroe isn't doesn't hate Borg because he's Borg. He just wants to be number one, and Borg doesn't hate McEnroe because he's McEnroe. It's just that he's the guy who could stop him from winning the fifth time. But they both change. I mean, I don't, I don't understand how you can't see that because the last bit of dialogue is that how up to this point everyone has made all the decisions for Borg, including their wedding. And he just lets it go. And at the end, he takes control over all of those decisions. Right? So he's changed. Mm. Great. What do you mean, great? So they both, you know, they've both changed. They've both changed through... And what about, what about his rivalry with McEnroe has affected that change? Actually, the change really just comes out of nowhere. It's, there's, no, there's no moment where he goes, no, this has got to change. I'm going to switch on and take control. He doesn't. He doesn't at all. He fires his trainer in a in a, a bit of, you know a bit of a uh, temper tantrum, and then the trainer comes back and he's like, "Yeah, I needed you here." Oh. <laughs> no, I think there's much more at stake than that. I think uh, you know um, it's about it's about valuing the past. It's about valuing the contributions. It's about knowing the mechanism because he tells the trainer, "I know what you're doing. Stop doing it. I can take care of myself now." That's mm. a key line. <laughs> Mr. Glass. <laughs> anyway, I think, I think it's let's, uh, look, I think it's let's it gets shift it, register because I think what, it gets you, <laughs> No, let me no, but, I think it gets you are meeting it more than halfway. The film gets you twenty percent of the way there and it asks you to do the rest of the work if that's what I think it's really empty. Okay, look, we're going to disagree about this, so you know, kind of I think more highly of it than you do. Yeah. But why were you so angry at the end of it? You came storming ang- out of the theatre. Well, that was, <laughs> that was slightly misguided. I, wasn't, I didn't storm out. I was just in a bit of a mood because I thought, fuck me, that was not very good. But the reason was, and this was misguided, is because um, I'd, I'd looked it up. I looked it up just to find out what the title was because I didn't know if it was Borg McEnroe or Borg mm. versus McEnroe. It turns out it's both depending on where you are in the world. Um and on the front page of Google, like it had, a, you know, they brings up relevant stuff, and it's and it had a Guardian headline which said something like, um, "Guardian review a five set thriller," some stupid pun like that. And I thought, oh, right, okay, this is going to be good then. Mm. Uh, 
and it wasn't. But then I did check while we were, while we were on the way back. Um, I did just have a quick look, and other reviews have got it as like it's like a seven out of ten type of movie. So it was just that one which set me up for the thinking this is going to be great, and it, and it wasn't. I mean, to be fair, you know, when I was a child, uh, the Montreal Star, <laughs> their TV listings. You know, the, and they would have some reason the back page of the films, right? So, you know, they do reviews and so on inside. But at the back, they would have all the movies playing that day and then they would give them stars. Mm. You know, and when I was a child, I always used to say, I, I always used to look forward to the four stars and the two stars, but kind of keep away from the three stars because the three stars were like films that were very worthy, but, you know, hadn't been well realized or films that were too complex, but there was something missing, right? You know, kind mm. of those films that you kind of, you know, that film buffs cheer on, but that really don't end up pleasing, yeah. you know, the, the uh, uh, standard audience. And I felt that this was one of those three-star films. You know, that for me, there was enough in it to kind of to keep me going and to keep me interested. And I love the look of the film and I love the performers and so on. But it's true that there wasn't, you know, there, there wasn't a point where you feel like kind of enthralled or moved or... You know, the, the way that really great films kind of make you do so, you know, so it's not trashy enough for me to be like a two star where you just like, you know, go along for the ride, the ride and enjoy all the trashy aspects of it. Mm. And it's not quite a great, uh, you know, a great film. It's so certainly not quite it's kind film. of, you know, in in the middle, in the, you know, in an undefined kind of uh, uh, danger zone, I suppose, for audiences in terms of audiences. But I'm very glad I saw it and I found it very skilled. Uh, yeah, see, seventy three percent on Rotten Tomatoes. That's more like it. The the, fi- the final match, where, which really should be the culmination, was so disappointing for at least the first half. It was. It was only when, uh, it was after about the set. It was the third set. That's when, because um, McEnroe wins the first, then Borg wins the second two, mm. and after the end of the third set, when he goes ahead, uh, and McEnroe's frustrated. That's when Borg says something to him. He says. You know, keep your head, play your game, whatever it is. And that's when I thought, oh, this is a moment. Like, he's been nice to me. This it, this isn't mm. a rivalry quite so much. This is a, something else. Um, and then the match starts to generate some, some tension for me. And, and then, you know, my heart started pounding. I mean, it, it started to get good. Um, and then you get to a, a tie break where um, Borg is getting match point after match point and McEnroe mm. is keeps on keeping himself in the game. It's fantastic. Mm. That's really good. And actually, what that does quite effectively, I will say, is um, what sports films always have to do at some point is explain the sport. Yes. And this is something that absolutely everyone is going to know. I mean, boxing films don't really have to do that anymore. Mm. Um, but uh, unless it's something that absolutely everyone is going to know, then the film has to at some point say, this is how the game works. And that's always a bummer because it kills the movie when that happens. You go... Just take a second, guys, and we've got to explain the rules. And in this film, they don't do it, essentially, with the tennis. It's not. It's actually not that important. The, the, the specific results of the games mm. are not that important. It's just who wins and who doesn't. Mm. Um, but then you get to the tie break, and you do have this commentator going, OK, now, lads, sit down. We just need to tell you how a tie break works. Because there are people who watch tennis who don't know how a fucking tie break yeah, works. Yeah, yeah. And, but it does it very quickly, and it does it with these um, on-screen superimposed scorecards. Which which go one two two one two ramping up till it's seven six mm. does it very quickly and you really get the point. Um, actually, that was uh, you know I got to hand it to that 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 made something that is normally really crap 
um, into quite an efficient piece of filmmaking. See you coming around. No, no, I thought that at the time. <laughs> I thought that at the time, like I said, I, I, can't, I can't be too harsh on that final match because it did start to get good. <clears throat> Although then, eventually, um, uh, that that is the heist of the film, is that tiebreak. Because eventually, McEnroe wins the tiebreak and they go into a fifth set. And then in the fifth set, it does this montage with this slow music. And I'm going, what? You're killing all of the momentum. Yes. That was awful with all these flashbacks to when they were kids and they're thinking about this. No. You know what I didn't understand was at the end when they're doing the celebration and they sing a famous song from the period. I forget what it was called. Oh, I don't remember. Uh, You know, there's that cake where everybody's slicing him in 25 (laughs) different pieces, you know, which I thought was kind of really interesting. But I kind of... I, I suppose, well, I suppose I'm answering my own question because, you know, the being sliced, because the cake has his picture, mm. and, you know, and he is being sliced in all these different bits. Yeah. And then he decides to, you know, to leave with his girlfriend and take back control over his life. But um, but the song I didn't get. I didn't get why that song. Uh, I, 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 well, I don't know. I didn't pay that. I didn't know, recognize the song. Let's see if we... The, the fiancé, while we're on it, gets such a hard... Remember Moneyball? Yes. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is just a walking frown. <laughs> she's exactly yeah. the same, isn't she? She's just this kind of naysaying sort of. I think she's very she, poorly cast, actually. I I don't know that she's poorly cast, but she has she has a really thankless task. She doesn't have anything to do because at least in Moneyball, Philip Seymour Hoffman, it was a really comic role. Like because Billy Bean, uh, the the Brad Pitt character, is you know kind of changing everything and doing all this crazy new stuff, but. Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is having to take the flak publicly because he's the he's the coach. Um, so he, so the fact that he only gets to frown is quite funny. He turns it into this nice nicely comic role. Whereas in this, there's none of that. They're trying to play it for drama, and it, you know, it's boring. <laughs> okay. I like Charlotte Booth. I like the fact that he's doubled down on the weirdness ever since he got called out for being a plagiarist. And he was like, well, fuck you, then look, watch this. And then he just embarked on a seven-year career of doing weird shit. I know, but I kind <clears> of... I mean, I think in a way he's become so good. Yeah. He has become like a kind of, um, you know, a character actor, really. Because, I, I, you know, as a star, I never liked him. I, you know, he's, I can't warm to him. It's like they tried to turn him into a star when he really wasn't one. Yes. Um, he was very charismatic in the Indiana Jones film. I didn't see it. So I think, uh, you know, there were hopes for him. I didn't see the Transformer films. I couldn't stand them. So um, I didn't see them because I couldn't stand them. Well, I saw bits on TV. I can't yeah. stand them. Yeah. Uh, so um, I think... He's a, he was, to be fair, he made them work. I mean, yeah. you know, the, he, he, was, he was the best thing for those films, put it that way. You know? Right. Um, it's a bit... Telling that he doesn't have seem to have had any other big hit outside of those. Let's find out. <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> films where he actually like really counted. Was he? A, he has to be the star of it for it to count. So it was. It was like so. He started off with things like Holes, I Robot, Constant Time, and he was he was playing smaller characters. Yes. Um, Disturbia. He was the main guy. That wasn't a big hit. Transformers no. obviously is huge. Indiana Jones is the big. Start. Eagle Eye was tried to be a hit and it was crap. Yeah. Um, Wall so Street too. Yeah. That was a flop. Mm. Um, it wasn't a, very good. So actually, yes, not any that. Yeah, Fury, so. Lawless. He's very good in Fury though. He's a second banana. 
he's very good in Lawless, though that's a minor part as well. And Tom Hardy's so yeah. much better. Eagle Eye. Do you see this thing when Eagle? I watched that film. It was awful. Two thousand eight, right? Um, but there's an interview. It, it's all about sort of spying and the CIA and uh-huh. technology and rubbish. But the, he did an interview on Leno, um, where he said uh, he was talking to some uh, NSA guy or CIA, and he said, um, "Yeah, we we can. We've got all your phone calls." And LeBeouf goes, "Nah," and he goes, "Yeah." Yeah, I'll get you phone calls. And so he, he like he just finds one of Sheila's phone calls recorded, and it's some intimate phone call where he's talking about what are you wearing and all the rest of it. My eyes. It's like fuck me, that's scary. And that was two thousand eight. And then how, when was Snowden? 2014, 2015? Yeah, when yeah. Snowden all happened? Yeah, yeah. But no one paid attention. People should have there been listening go, to Sheila for a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Mike, let's end it here. I'm tired now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean. Being wrong really tires a guy out. Yes, it does, doesn't it, you poor thing? Um, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm,